Hi there, Stuart here. Welcome to the iFormRx podcast. iFormRx is a community of practice where we explore the evidence that influences patient care in community and ambulatory care practice settings. And, and if you're not already a member of iFormRx, I encourage you to join. It's free. All you need to do is head on over to our website, iFormRx.org, and sign up today. In today's episode, we're going to talk about an important issue, workload. How large of a panel of patients can a pharmacist reasonably manage? There comes a time in any clinic or any setting that uses an appointment-based model when the number of patients a pharmacist can actively manage as part of their panel is exceeded. And it's at this critical moment that a decision needs to be made. Should we hire another pharmacist? But that's not an easy decision. How do you know when a panel size is getting too large or know when a pharmacist likely has a bit more capacity to handle more patients? Well, back in the days when I was the director of an antithrombosis clinic at the University of Maryland, it felt like a constant tug of war with upper administration trying to get more pharmacist time dedicated to the clinic, but we unfortunately didn't have a mechanism for determining when additional help was perhaps needed. It was a subjective assessment. So that's why when I saw a recent paper published in the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy, which used data and attempted to create a formula to determine an appropriate panel size for pharmacists, I thought this would be a terrific paper to review on iFormerX. And joining me today are three guest authors, Dr. Benjamin King, Dr. Jasmine Ortiz, and Dr. Jubilee Winar from the Metro Health System in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. King is an ambulatory care clinical pharmacy specialist and one of the co-authors of the paper we'll be reviewing today. And Drs. Ortiz and Winar are PGY2 ambulatory care pharmacy residents. And if you're not familiar with Metro Health, it's a nonprofit system of four hospitals and 20 health centers in Cuyahoga County, Ohio, and it's affiliated with Case Western Reserve University Medical School, as well as several schools of pharmacy in Northeast Ohio. So clearly, Metro Health employs a lot of pharmacists, and understanding what's an appropriate panel size for pharmacists to manage is critically important to deploying their resources wisely. So Ben. Jasmine Jubilee, welcome to the iFormerX podcast. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Looking forward to our discussion today. So Jasmine, I'd like to start our discussion by asking about how panel sizes are determined for physicians. Obviously, these kind of workload decisions have been made for physician practices for many years. Are there formulas that have been developed to guide resource allocations and hiring decisions for physicians? And why shouldn't we just apply those same formulas to pharmacist practices? Great question, Stuart. So yes, historically, panel sizes, which is a determination of the optimal patient volume, have been chosen for physicians for years. Ideally, they consider patient complexity, the overall provider workload, organizational factors, and other patient-specific factors that really should be considered when thinking about this optimal patient volume. For example, if we had an older patient with high social determinants of health needs, polypharmacy, and multiple comorbidities, that will likely take a lot longer of a visit than our younger, healthier counterpart. 
And there is a lot of data out there, really, that reviews and explains optimal physician panel sizes. A number of institutes actually have specific formulas for such a calculation. For example, the American Academy of Family Physicians suggests using a simple equation that looks at the panel size times the visits per patient per year, so the patient demand, equal to the provider visits per day times the provider days per year, which is the provider supply. They use this to easily determine an ideal physician panel size throughout their practices. However, not much is known about the ideal pharmacist panel size. With the use of collaborative practice agreements or CPAs between pharmacists and providers, we know that there's a known improvement in terms of closer patient follow-up, quality of patient care, and really just to help decrease provider burnout. So as such, ambulatory care pharmacists are only becoming more prevalent in the primary care setting, and it's going to be important for to understand and further research what that ideal pharmacist panel size should look like. In 2010, the Patient-Centered Primary Care Coalition created a recommendation in terms of pharmacist-to-physician panel size ratio to help determine the pharmacist FTE, or full-time equivalent, need in a patient-centered medical home. So that coalition, they recommended the allocation of a quarter FTE, so 0.25 of a pharmacist equivalent, per physician panel size of about 1,200 to 1,500 patients. In other literature, there was a 2013 study, and they estimated that the staffing infrastructure for a patient-centered medical home. The study interviewed practices with pharmacists and estimated an allocation of a half, or 0.5 pharmacist FTE, per provider panel size of about 2,500 patients, which really is not a lot of pharmacists compared to the provider ratio. So of the data that we do have, They really don't estimate or account for patient complexity. And as ambulatory care pharmacists know, these are key factors in in how I assess my clinic days will go about and even more key in determining an ideal panel size. I think this is especially an important factor in the primary care setting as we get to see firsthand with our patient population, especially at Metro Health, a largely underserved population, where a 20-minute visit can easily turn into an hour or more for those more complex patients with which may have lower health literacy, often have financial barriers, cognitive or transportation barriers, just to name a few. So Stuart, while there have been numerous studies establishing the beneficial effect of pharmacists and provider collaboration and regarding that optimal physician patient panel size, prior to the study conducted at our institution, there really has been limited evidence reviewing what the optimal ambulatory care pharmacist panel size should look like. So Ben, let's talk about your study, the, the one that was published in the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy in January 2023. The paper is entitled Assessing Appropriate Panel Size and Optimization of Quality Metrics for Ambulatory Care Pharmacists in the Primary Care Setting. And the first author is actually Nimit Osbay. First, I'm wondering what prompted this study And then tell us some of the background and context for this study. Of course, I'd love to. So we first came up with the study just because of the popularity of our ambulatory care pharmacy service. So since the inception of our AmCare pharmacy service in 2016, we've grown exponentially. Initially, we only had three AmCare pharmacists who worked with our providers under a collaborative practice agreement to help manage chronic disease states. And our providers ended up using our AmCare pharmacists primarily just for diabetes management due to the prevalence of diabetes in our underserved community and just the importance of A1C control for both preventing vascular complications and the overall benefits for population health. 
We functioned on a referral basis and over the next year quickly filled the pharmacist schedules with patients. But after further proving our efficacy through a separate quality improvement study that showed pharmacist involvement improved A1C control by over 2% compared to standard care, the number of referrals we had skyrocketed. Eventually, our pharmacists overbooked their schedules and we still had over 200 pending referrals that we hadn't even looked at yet. In addition, our patient access metrics, such as time to third next appointment, reached astronomical times, well over eight weeks for some, when the expected standard is just two days for a specialty provider. Due to our rising concern for patient safety, as well as our pharmacist burnout, we decided to begin looking into appropriate panel sizes. We found that there was a plethora of data regarding panel sizes for physicians, but minimal to no data regarding panel sizes for ambulatory care pharmacists. We tried to apply calculations for physician panel sizes to our own ambulatory care practice, but quickly found this did not alleviate any issues. Referrals continued to grow, patient access metrics continued to worsen, and our pharmacists continued to overwork themselves in an effort to serve the patients as well as they could. This led to us creating this study to discover a methodology that would better estimate and calculate an ambulatory care pharmacist panel size. Well, Ben, let's let's talk about the methods and results of your study. Unlike a therapeutic paper examining the efficacy and safety of a treatment, this scholarly work is really about devising a methodology for determining an appropriate panel size. So can you tell us a bit about the approach to this work? We started by trying to determine the ideal panel size for one pharmacist FTE by doing the most straightforward panel size calculation for physician panel size, where one just divides the total number of appointments by average visits per patient per year. To increase generalizability, average visits per patient per year was based on the NHIS or National Health Interview Survey data instead of using our institutional data. The NHIS conducted in 2003 showed a mean of six visits to a diabetes care provider per patient per year. Total number of appointments was then calculated based on 14 appointments per eight hours of clinic and 47 work weeks per year, which accounted for both holidays and vacation time. When we compared our calculated panel size, though, to our actual panel size, we found that our actual panel size at all our study sites was actually lower than the calculated panel size, which would normally indicate that you could take on even more patients. However, our secondary objectives painted a completely different picture. For our secondary objectives, we looked at three things, patient access, pharmacist FTEs, and quality metrics. To evaluate patient access, we calculated number of days until third next available appointment and capacity, which is the number of visits completed divided by the number of available visit slots. To evaluate adequate FTE, we used the patient-centered primary care coalition's recommended 0.5 pharmacist FTEs per 2,500 patients managed by the PCPs at that location. Finally, to evaluate quality metrics, we used a composite outcome of A1C less than 9%, blood pressure less than 140 over 90, and patients on statin therapy. What it showed was that our time to third next available appointment, a recommended two days again for specialty services, was actually ranging between 17 to 54 days for our study sites, despite the majority of locations functioning at overcapacity, up to 122% overcapacity at some locations. Utilizing the FTE calculation, all sites were understaffed by ambulatory care pharmacy specialists by at least two full FTEs, with one site being understaffed by over six FTEs. There was no direct correlation found between panel size and quality metrics, though. So interestingly, our panel size calculation showed that pharmacists could take more patients on when we used just the physician panel size calculator, but our patient access and FTE calculations showed that the pharmacists were actually performing well beyond expectations, were at high risk for burnout as well. 
So Jubilee, there are probably no perfect methods for determining appropriate panel size for pharmacists or any other health practitioner for that matter, because there are so many factors that can influence productivity and efficiency. What are some of the factors that influence productivity and efficiency that need to be considered as the demand for pharmacist patient care services increase? There will, no doubt, be pressure to become more productive and efficient. How might we go about doing all of that? Yeah, absolutely. So in general, factors that can impact panel size and productivity as well as efficiency may be broken down into three distinct categories. So one, patient-specific factors, two, provider and practice site factors, and three, organizational factors. Patient-specific factors may include the number of comorbid conditions and medications, patient's age, social determinants of health, language barriers, polypharmacy, having established mental illness, just to name a few, which can result in a need for those smaller panel sizes with more dedicated time needed to assist these patients versus our younger, healthier, and or more established patients. These patients are going to need the closer follow-up and can require more attention in and outside of these scheduled appointment times as they may call up for clarification on medication changes that were made. And with patients being more complex, the chart review time can even increase and the complexity of notes being taken can also increase as documentation, as we all know, is critical in the ambulatory care setting. Pre-charting times also increase with new patients while there is less time to spend on the task as we get to know our patients better and better. And in regard to language barriers, we see a large amount of Spanish-speaking patients here at Metro Health, and these appointments can almost double in time when utilizing an interpreter since everything is being repeated twice. In terms of providers, smaller panel sizes would be needed for those already at a higher burnout or that work with more complex patients, such as at our underserved locations, in order to really maximize the number of patients that the pharmacist would be able to manage for them. In terms of the practice site factors, that depends on staffing, such as nurses and medical assistants available, which currently room our patients for us by taking their vitals and doing other intake necessities. Space is also another factor, such as exam room availability with patient turnover. Because say you have three patients show up at one time, but only one room, the turnover can take some time. And then lastly, our organizational factors consist more of optimizing the use of our electronic health records and learning the best shortcuts when it comes to chart review and charting overall. Also, when it comes to scheduling patients, rooming, and discharging them, as I previously mentioned, we are really lucky here to have our staff room our patients, which is a huge factor when it comes to efficiency, while we discharge and schedule them for follow-ups. And even in one of our specialty clinics here, the staff room, discharge, and schedule the patients, which helps to increase efficiency even more and would be ideal in all clinic settings if the resources are available. When it comes to thinking about how we as pharmacists can be more efficient, I think we have been all able to really learn from each other and share tips and tricks about how to make our practices more efficient. First and foremost, creating a great relationship with your staff can be very helpful as they are able to best room your patients efficiently and know exactly what 
information you require to best do your job and notify you of anything necessary that can be a time-limiting factor. This also helps to increase clinic morale, which is a huge benefit for everyone working in the clinic so you're able to do your job well, efficiently, and in a positive environment as we have been able to see firsthand the differences in the clinics we rotate between as some have very consistent staff which relationships have been built on while others may have increased turnover which can make this more difficult and the wait times can potentially be increased for the patient and pharmacist. In terms of chart review and documentation, We have been able to utilize our medical record to create those templates that most of our ambulatory care pharmacists use for our notes to help streamline and make the patient interview and documentation process very smooth. This also helps with chart review as we are more familiar where everything is located. We have also been able to create smart sets within our EMR which are easily accessible and have a lot of orders needed, especially for diabetes. So there are less clicks necessary when placing the orders, which can help to save time. Other factors to help increase efficiency include conciseness in your note-taking while still providing that necessary information. And then also the art of documenting as much as possible when in the patient visit and or having any downtime that may come up, such as if there is a no-show. But I think trying to document as much as you can during the patient visit can be super beneficial, but still learning the art of really making the eye contact with the patient and making them feel seen and heard. And then, of course, when working more quickly, that can increase the chance of a mistake happening, such as a typo in your notes, medication error, or forgetting to tell the patient everything. But I do think that we should be very conscious to make sure that we are not sacrificing optimal patient care and patient safety for efficiency. Well, Jasmine, Jubilee, and Ben, it, it was great to have all of you here on the iFormerX podcast as, as first-time contributors. I think this paper gives all of us who work in ambulatory care environments some guidance on how to determine an appropriate panel size for pharmacists. But as the demand for pharmacist patient care services increase, we'll need to learn how to work more effectively and efficiently to use the pharmacist's time in productive ways without negatively impacting relationships with patients and increasing the risk of pharmacist burnout. Well, tell us what you do in your practice. How do you know what an appropriate workload for a pharmacist might be in your setting? And when is it time to hire a new pharmacist? Well, remember, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features. Be sure to log on every time you visit our website at iFormerX.org. And for those of you who are board-certified ambulatory care pharmacists, you can earn board recertification and continuing education credit for this program. You've already listened to the podcast, so why not get credit for engaging in this professional development activity? We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to offer the Literature Evaluation and Evidence-Based Practice Series, and it's available online, on demand, anytime, anywhere. So check it out by clicking on the link posted just below the written commentary on our website to learn more. And lastly, I want to thank Jonathan Hughes, who is a clinical pharmacist specialist at St. Louise 
Family Medicine, which is part of the Ascension Medical Group in Nashville, Tennessee. I met Jonathan a few years ago when he was a PGY2 ambulatory care resident at the VA Tennessee Valley Healthcare System, and I was immediately impressed. He's He's been a contributor and supporter of iFormRx ever since. Jonathan is an emerging leader in ambulatory care pharmacy practice, and he's one of the driving forces behind the collaboration between iFormRx and the ACCP AmCare PRN to produce a podcast series over this past year. It's been great to work with you, Jonathan, and I truly appreciate you introducing iFormRx to your residents and students. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormRx, signing off.